I'm Betsy Reed, and this is The Discomfort Practice, where I talk to creatives, activists, leaders, scientists, and a host of others about discomfort, about the role it's played in their lives, who they are and what they do in the world, and the value of discomfort in helping us move forward as a society. Discomfort is just the edge of your comfort zone, and on the other side are superpowers. So settle yourself in, and let's get uncomfortable. So I'm trying a new thing, which is that I've dug a great episode out of the archives of the discomfort practice. The one you're about to hear is episode 55 with Paul William Davis, produced uh, maybe a year and a half ago. I can't believe I can say that, and I've been recording this long. But it's, it's something that I thought, we need to revisit this, because it's all about finding and living your purpose. And this is being posted in... November 2023. And so we're at the back end of a year, starting to think ahead to the next one. And whenever you listen to this, I hope the message lands for you, which is my intention to give us a little moment to pause and think, okay, what have I done so far this year? And what do I want to do next year? But not in that sort of old paradigm, do, 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 do. What's on my to-do list? What do I need to achieve? How do I need to climb a ladder or whatever. I'm talking about really, really honing in on who you are, what's important to you, and how you can live that in every area of your life. And I'm going to go ahead and say it. How can you make your life sacred in every way possible? How can you honor the fact that you do have your own values, your own compass, your own purpose for being on this planet right now in this body that you're in? in exactly the situation you're in, because I believe we designed this stuff for ourselves before we even hit this planet. So enjoy this episode, and I would love to hear if this works for you, because I've got some really juicy episodes in the archives I would love to whip out again and remind people of. My listeners have grown, and so there are probably a few episodes toward the beginning of the podcast you haven't heard, so I might be doing this a bit more often, but I'd love to hear from you. But in the meantime... Enjoy this episode, enjoy this interview, and enjoy the thinking, the consideration it prompts on your end. I'm talking to Paul William Davis today. He is the founder of Davis Business Consultants and is an intuitive personal advisor, an entrepreneur himself, and a best-selling author. Paul can teach you how to achieve clarity, direction, and purpose in your life and business. We'll go through that a bit today, as well as his path to how he became an intuitive personal advisor, which you probably don't know what that is, but you definitely will by the end of this episode. So it's all about reaching your full potential, making a greater impact, and living a more rewarding life. So far, so good, but there's a twist in there. So Paul has his own personal pursuit for purpose and meaning, along with a desire to substantiate his, quote, knowings for clients and to break through his own limitations and those of his clients in terms of confidence, imposter syndrome, fears, even suicide ideation, beliefs, and all the stuff that holds us each back from flourishing in all aspects of our lives. And that's why he developed the Executive Code, to help his clients not only discover their life purpose, but also to progress further, personally, spiritually, emotionally, and in their businesses. So we'll definitely get to that. I can't wait to hear what the Executive Code entails. So to date, Paul has supported countless organizations, transformed several unprofitable enterprises into multi-million euro successes through his business consultancy, 
and worked with executives, business owners, and celebrities from around the world. So Paula and I are having this conversation because I love to speak to people who are doing things differently, who are listening to their knowing, who are making people uncomfortable, but making a difference as a result. And Paula is definitely one of those going deeper, taking people deeper, helping them to rediscover their own intuition and knowings, and sort of coming out of the woo-woo spiritual closet himself, as we will talk about. But he's also somebody who's really focused on purpose. And I absolutely believe that that is one of the biggest things we need today is to help people truly discover their personal purpose, because so few people are clear on that. And then they're missing the opportunity to bring their own brand of special sauce to the world to create a better society, a better life for themselves and others. So it's no longer time to be frozen in the status quo. If you're comfortable, you're probably coasting in the status quo and it's just not good enough anymore. So I cannot wait to hear from Paul about knowings, about intuitive business, about helping people to find their purpose and make a lot of money doing it, which is a big message. It's not out of touch. It's not where we're talking about business. So here we go, talking about a new way of doing business, a new way of being business people together. Thank you so much for your time and for being here today. Welcome, Paul. It's great to be here, Betsy. And the, the, the lead in that you've just given is just absolutely phenomenal. So it's, it's absolutely amazing. Well, it's not hard to make a beautiful thing out of somebody's biography when they've done beautiful things. So what's an uncomfortable moment that has changed your life and shaped who you are and what you do in the world? Yeah, it's a really good question. And it did make me extremely uncomfortable. It's probably the most uncomfortable I've ever been in my whole life. And what's happened now is that it actually makes other people feel uncomfortable. So I, I come with a warning <laughs> for, for everybody that's listening to this. And for me, it was going back to 2011. And I was there at the side of my brother. He was literally just after coming out from surgery. And I was told a few minutes before that from the doctors that he wasn't going to live. So as he regained consciousness and he wasn't able to talk because he still had tubes in his mouth and so on, um, he only had a few hours to go, but I tried to comfort him as much as I possibly could while at the same time ringing all my other siblings and so on in order to let them know of what the news is going to be. But the realization for me from that moment in time was here is somebody at the age of 53 wanting to hang on to life. And for me, for the vast majority of my life, um, pretty much as far back as the age of 10, I wanted to check out of life. So I didn't want to be here at all. And even though a lot of people would have seen me as being hugely successful in my career, in the business that I grew and all the kinds of things and all the different things that I did for clients. They saw a persona to me, which was that stereotypical successful individual. And what everybody else describes in terms of, look, at, you know, he's got everything. He's got the wife, he's got the kids, he's got the houses, he's got the car, he's got the holidays, all, all that stereotypical thing that, that people say about success. But I went through my whole life or the vast majority of my life actually trying to figure out, well, what's my purpose? What am I here for? What am I to do? And what's the point of life in the first place anyway? So what I was able to do for other, other people and clients, I wasn't able to do for myself. So what I mean by that is that, so when I was working with clients and working within their businesses, as I was building my career, and um, I knew the path of what would be, would make the most success for them. So I knew what their purpose was and I longed for the day 
that somebody will come along to me and say, Paul, here's what your purpose is. So, but I can never find that. So I, I researched for many, many years and everything that's online and everything's in the books and everything that you, you hear or read or see, where they talk about life purpose is, in my opinion, completely incorrect. So that it didn't answer any of the questions for me. And anybody that's kind of been on that kind of journey will understand that, yeah, look at when, when they read those certain things that talk about life purpose, it still does not give them the answer of what they're looking for, which is literally what's their mission? What are they here to do? Mm. And so I suppose two things where it made it extremely uncomfortable was that following that event back in 2011, I made the decision that I wanted to hang on to life. And um, Eugene was passing away. He wanted to hang on to life, but there was me trying to decide as regards to what I do. So I made a decision that I wanted to hang on to life and I was going to make it my mission in order to help as many people as possible do. And when I went out to my database and my clients and the people that know me and talked about my suicide ideation, and then also talked about, look, if there's another side to me and it's the intuitive side, it's the gifted side. It's not something that you would expect from a business consultant. Cause that's what I trained. I originally qualified as a management accountant. So again, you know, for accountants are logical, they're systemized or process driven. So they don't, you know, <laughs> that's not something you, you discuss when you talk about it. Definitely not. Wow. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> so for me, it was a case of no, look, I made a decision that this is, so it was actually the most uncomfortable I've ever been in my life. But ever since then, because of people's views of mental health or suicide and all that kind of, sort of things. It makes other people very, very uncomfortable. And I can see that, but yet the people that have those thoughts, there is a bit of an aha moment. You can see it in their eyes and they kind of realize because I talk about it very, very differently, again, to mainstream, cause I'm a bit of a, a juxtaposition whereby I don't go across it. I don't go with the normal. So when I explain suicide ideation and from, and how to unravel it for a lot of people, it makes perfect sense to people that have gone through those, that thought pattern. So yeah, that, that was the uncomfortable moment in my life. Wow. That was such a process and so many strands of uncomfortable. They got you to that place of a real crunch point, a crisis moment where you had to choose to stay or go and then turn it into something beautiful, actually. Wow. That is an intense answer. I'm grateful for your, your openness and your vulnerability. And I am now dying to hear what the result of that has been. Because as you said, I'm sure that makes a lot of people uncomfortable. Maybe some of you listening today. But also I'm sure it's brought freedom to a lot of people to be able to admit that they're going through the same thing and to hear that they're not alone, that somebody seemingly successful and so normal like you, such a, a lovely human being, has actually struggled with suicidal thoughts for decades. So then when you talk about how you looked for ways to find your personal purpose and the stuff out there just wasn't cutting it because I'm seeing, I mean, I'm in the same boat as you where I do feel like a lot of people come to me to guide them to find their purpose because it's pretty obvious that mine is clear to me and has been for a long time. And so I do it in my own intuitive way and I see more and more things popping up of people doing purpose workshops or whatever. But I'm interested in hearing what hasn't worked. Why haven't the old ways worked and what is the way that is better for people to truly understand. I guess I'm just trying to understand why didn't all the books you read, why didn't all of the previous materials you came across work? What's wrong with them? <laughs> if I dare ask it that way. And, you know, like, how do you work differently that helps people find their purpose? 
Yeah, perfect. Okay, so let me go through some of them. A lot of people, a lot of what you read on online and books and so on, one of the things that you'll come across is that find your passion, go find your passion. And when you find your passion, well, then that's going to lead to your purpose. Now I'm passionate about a lot of things. I'm passionate about horse riding. I'm passionate about skiing. I'm passionate about, you can probably see from behind me in terms of all, a lot of different things in relation to flight. So I've flown in pretty much nearly every single type of aircraft as an everyday uh, type of aircraft. So whether it be a hot air balloon or whether it be a glider, whether it be a helicopter, whether it be a, a small jet or whatever, I've, I've flown them all and, and, and flown in them all. And um, I'm still on a, you know, a, a quest to try more aircraft. So as soon as I get a ticket into flying out to outer space, I'm on that flight. And, um, but here's the thing, what I teach my clients is that passion follows purpose. So there's a lot of things that I'm passionate about, but they're absolutely nothing got to do with my purpose, nothing. So for people are instructed or guided to well, find out what you're passionate about and then maybe turn your passion into a business or a career, whatever it be, they're transactional in a lot of cases. So where I use, the, again, the, the phrase I give my clients is that passion follows purpose. So when you're working on your purpose and you're delivering on your purpose, your passion is a very, very different type of passion, but your passion absolutely increases exponentially. That's where you get the joy from, the fulfillment from. It's a completely different way of living. People talk about find your why. Oh, I love this one. And <laughs> if you find Go, go, go. If you find your why, I don't want to be derogatory to anybody, but if you find your why, well, then that's going to lead to your purpose. But here's the thing. Your purpose comes from an unconscious side of you. A lot of people try and find out their why consciously, meaning they're using their conscious mind to try and figure out what their why is, but they'll never figure out their true why when they're trying to work it out consciously. Second of all, the premise is that, well, if you find your why, find your why of what it is that you're doing right now at the moment. Meaning the question is, why are you doing what you're doing? That means that you're doing something. So therefore, what's your why for doing what you're doing right now at the moment? And here's the thing, you may not be doing the right thing. So you may be hit the wrong job or you may be running the wrong thing. <laughs> the vast majority of my clients that, that, that come to me, they're not exactly doing what they should be doing. So because you're trying to work it out from a conscious perspective and you're trying to apply your why to something that you're currently doing that you may not should be doing, it's going to be your wrong why. Mm. Your why, your true why comes from your unconscious as does every single element of when I work with a client to identify what is their purpose is. If you think of, you know, and everybody's probably, if anybody's on this journey, they've read the book by Viktor Frankl, which is Man's Search for Meaning. Okay. Absolutely. It's one of the best books ever written. Exactly. Yeah. But here's the thing, because what you'll get from the book is that, you know, the meaning of life is to give life meaning. And therefore the premise is, well, whatever it is that you have in life, the meaning that you give it is the meaning for you. But that this still doesn't answer the question for a lot of people. So what's my meaning in life? What is, what am I to do? If you go back to Ikigai, which again comes from Far Eastern and gang, people will be familiar, they may not be familiar with the term Ikigai, but if they remember, they'll, they'll visualize it from perspective of it's a bit like you've got circles and they're all intersected and so on. And if, you know, one circle might be for passion, one circle might be, what would people pay for it? And so there's a lot of different circles, but one of the circles, which always gets people is your mission. Your mission is your what? And people can never answer that question. So therefore Ikigai never works for them. 
So they go through and fill out all the circles, but they cannot fill out that circle because they don't know what their mission is. So that's where, where I talk about, you know, there's a lot of stuff out there in relation to life purpose. And yes, I absolutely agree with you, Betsy. There's a lot of people talk about life purpose and all the kinds of things, but you know, from, when you're coming from an intuitive perspective and you know, when you see the difference in the impact that somebody's to make in this lifetime, now you can see, well, okay, how is that, what's been said correlate to what the person's actually here to do. So where I went back over my life from the perspective of you alluded to earlier on, I had to find the evidence in order to substantiate my knowings. Because two things, one is clients would say to me, well, look at Paul, you're just making this up. And yeah, <laughs> but it made people very, very overwhelmed. So it was a case of you may say, that's what my mission is in life. That's what my purpose is. And therefore, because it was so big for them, they actually became overwhelmed. So what I spent many, many years doing was to try and find the evidence. How could I build a process or a system or a methodology in order to help people find what their true purpose is and therefore not necessarily as such rely on my knowings. But then once we see the evidence in their life, I call them breadcrumbs, but once they see the evidence in their life, they kind of say, ah, okay, now that makes sense. Now the conscious mind can take it on board, but every single element comes from the unconscious part of you, which is where I work in the sense of, you know, when it comes from an intuitive perspective, that's what I'm able to tap into. Yeah, that's what happened. It's such a lost art. I love this from a trained accountant because you trained in numbers and rationality. And here you are unleashing on the world this side of you that is, well, part of your purpose. But as somebody who's gone through this process a lot over the years, I absolutely relate to what you say about, you know, the the sort of classic approach, which is like, you know, what do you really love to do? And absolutely resonated everything you said. And it was only when I started to really have more of a mindfulness practice and work with people who worked from a a subconscious level, a flow state level, dropping in and knowing you're knowing, and then finding a way to eventually articulate it. Because so often, and I think my first guest of this season, Adam Nosel, we talked about knowings that you can't yet even put into language. And that's basically what you're talking about. It's sort of giving people a path to articulate retrospectively their knowings almost. And, and also I'm working with a coach right now, Victoria Foster, and we talk about the difference between zone of excellence and zone of genius. Zone of excellence is the stuff you're good at, what people hire you to do because you're good at it. Yeah. But that's not necessarily your purpose or your mission or what's special about you. And yeah, I'm still figuring out what my zone of genius is, but I can tell you absolutely what my purpose is because I came to it through a lot of meditation, through listening to my knowing and then letting it eventually find words. And it's about working with powerful people to influence them to create systems that are more fair for society and the planet. That's it. That's my purpose has been since I was a child. And it's interesting to retrospectively look back and see that that is woven into everything I've ever been good at as well. Yeah. That the excellence follows the purpose. Like you said, it's, it's not the other way around. So love this. And I, I love speaking to people who are intuitive and have brought it into a field that people don't expect. So, which brings us into how do people find you and how do you blow their minds? <laughs> I guess it's sort of tongue in cheek, but are people 
specifically seeking an intuitive approach or is it that they know you and like you and they trust you? Whatever your approach, how do people come to you? What do they expect to get? Yeah, it, it's funny because I, I have a piece on my website, which is a picture of a feather. And pretty much 99% of my clients in this field of work would come to me and they would say, I don't know how I came across you. I don't know how I found you, but I knew as soon as I connected with you, I needed to talk to you. So that could be, for example, they may have seen something on social media or they may have seen, you know, listen to my podcast or they come across my website, some shape or form. And, but they don't know, they haven't necessarily been looking in particular that that's on one side, but the vast majority of them always say, I don't know how I came across you. <laughs> and so did they, this is how the universe works. So yes, I got a website and social media and all the kind of things, but it's not actually how I work. So let me put it to you this way. There's an analogy that I described in my first book. And my first book was called Evolve. And there's a hidden message in the, even the title itself. But if the, the, the metaphor that I describe for people is that, you know, there's things that happen to us in our life. And it, I describe it as being the feathers, the bricks and the trucks. Those feathers are, you know, you might be having a conversation with somebody or you might be watching a movie and something resonates with them, with what you're seeing in the movie or what they've said in the conversation. Or you could be read a newspaper article or anything, but they're the little, the little light, like the touch of a feather. They're very, very light, meaning it's the universe, our unconscious trying to guide us in a particular path. That's the intuitive side of ourselves. Now, if we don't listen to the feathers, well, then the brick comes along and the brick is a little bit more subtle. <laughs> you can imagine being clapped over the head with a brick. Yeah. So I'm the brick. That's pretty much it. So. A brick can show up in people's lives in terms of maybe a short-term illness or a financial setback or um, something happens in the relationships or whatever. And really what it's doing is the pandemic has been a brick for an awful lot of people. Mm. And the purpose of the brick is for getting them to go introspect, to start thinking about, okay, so maybe what is it that I should be doing in my life? Maybe what I'm doing right now at the moment, I should alter or change what I'm doing and therefore correct my course or the bricks. And if people don't listen to the bricks, and I've seen this so many times, if people don't listen to the bricks, well, then the truck comes along. And nobody <laughs> wants the truck coming along. Because the truck would show up in the in form of a separation, a divorce, a business failure, or made redundant, or a major significant financial setback, bankruptcy, or that kind of set of things, or a, a very, very serious illness, which they can recover from, but it's life altering. And that's the difference. Mm -hmm. Nobody wants the truck to come along. That's such a metaphor. That's such a great metaphor. Yeah, absolutely. I know that to be true in my life where it's like the universe is like, you can learn this the easy way or we're just going to yell at you a little louder and a little louder. And then finally just be like, hey, we couldn't get your attention before. So here you go. Because we've all come into this life to learn certain lessons and play certain roles in the world, I believe. So let's go to the pandemic because that's going to come up a lot in conversations for years to come. Has that driven more people, do you think, or have you experienced to want their personal and their professional lives to be more aligned and purpose-driven? Uh, it absolutely has, without a shadow of a doubt. I came out in um, March of, so it, pandemic hit here in Ireland in, in March of, we're losing track of years now, in March 2020. I know. And um, um, immediately when the pandemic hit, I got a download to say, Paul, you've got to do webinars. 
Now I've never done webinars. I don't know the technology, didn't know how to do it and all that kind of things, but I got, I woke up this morning or that morning and the message was very clear, Paul, you got to do webinars. So apart from the fear and you talk about discomfort, but it was a major discomfort for me, but nowhere near what I'd done before. And, but by the end of that day, I went out to my database to say, I'm doing a webinar tomorrow. You're welcome to join the webinar. And my message on that webinar was, look at guys, um, we're going to be coming into a quite a soon given time here. And it's part of you to reflect on which way you uh, want your life to be. And that was at the very, very start of the pandemic. So I did a series of seven webinars and that, those webinars then turned into the podcast. The, the pandemic has given a huge opportunity for people to actually reflect on what they want out of life. And from my perspective in seeing and observing people, it was, and I, I, I reiterated that message so many times, this is your opportunity to literally get on the right track because I'm seeing a lot of other things coming down the track. I mean, come down the road, which people need to be prepared for. So, and that's going to happen over, over the next while, but part of that is literally getting people on the right track. So and when you talk about seeing things coming down the road, are these things that you get from your knowings or from predicting the trends or where, what's coming down the road and pure, where pure, do you find those things? Yeah, mm-hmm. purely just knowings. It's not from a perspective of, I, I, I don't, I purposely actually don't tap into or follow or connect with any other trendsetters for one better word or people that would say, look, here's what's going to happen. I, I, I purposely don't. Because I want to try and keep my focus clear and clean as much as I possibly can. There were three energies that came through in 2020. And again, I said on my podcast, I said on the webinars, and this is where, you know, you've got to, for not so much ride a wave, but here's what you need to be looking at. And those three have, have definitely come true. I'm seeing them in all the clients. It's really from my perspective, it's a knowing, do you know what, I'm sensing something here. It's a bit like, you know, if you remember, I'm sure many people have watched these movies, but you know, it's a bit like Spider-Man and, and his tingle sensors is his spidey sense. That for me is, it's my spidey sense for one of a better word. Say, mm, do you know what? Something's come down the track here and I'm not liking what I'm sensing. And I don't know what it is exactly. I do have a sense of what that is, but I, and it's not about scaremongering. It's not about people who are concerned with it. It's just the more people tap into their intuition side of things um, and their gut feeling, they will be guided to make it an awful lot easier for them this for the way. Mm, I kind of want to throw that out to listeners right now, actually. Sort of those of you listening who do maybe have a mindfulness practice or are very conscious maybe of some of your own knowings, maybe you call it your gut instinct, or you just seem to know what's going to happen next without ever being told, or you know things without ever having been told. We all have that ability to know things. And I can totally relate because, I mean, what I do, I, I often have to sort of do, you know, and I think when I do a presentation to a company or leaders about creating a culture of well-being or a purpose-driven culture or whatever, they always want to see a trend slide. But I already know the trends before they become trends as well. And after you've worked in something long enough, it's sometimes hard to remember that actually I intuitively know this stuff. I, I just then retrofit. McKinsey reports or whatever research I need to back up my knowings and be like, well, you know, I could have told you 20 years ago that we would be here. Mm. It's interesting because I was talking to my partner the other day who does not work in a field like ours, you know, sort of sustainability business. 
But I was just feeling very passionately that I want to, well, build personal abundance that doesn't need to be protected because things are going to get so much worse. We're going to see so many more people having to, well, trying to get into safe places like Europe because where they live, where they're from is no longer habitable because of climate change and pollution and corruption (laughs) that all lead to an impact on human beings. And I absolutely know that this is going to be true. And because I know it so, so well, so unquestionably, it doesn't make me afraid. It just is. It is just what is going to happen. And therefore, I know to build my life around that reality and how I want to grapple with that reality, whether it's next year or in 10 years. So yeah, if people listening to this, think about the things that you know, but maybe shut off or the things that you know, but don't want to admit to people because it sounds weird. You know things. And if you were to start listening to those things and integrating them into the decisions you make about how you live your life or how you create a business or how you, what you buy, what kind of land you buy or house you buy, I mean, it can really infuse itself into absolutely every area of your life, can't it? Absolutely. Absolutely does. Yeah. And mm-hmm. you will never be guided wrong. Now, there is the aspect which you, you, you do have to keep your energy clear and clean and, and don't get into the, you know, castle building. That's what I call it. Um, but the more you get sensitive and in tune with your intuitive side of things, the more it's going to guide you in the right direction. It, it will never guide you in the wrong direction. And sometimes it may seem that you're going down the right direction, but it's not. It's actually for the better of the you because that's its whole purpose. And do you find people want to ignore their intuition when it's telling them something's dangerous or hard? Because it's okay. just, we all just want puppies and rainbows, but your intuition will guide you through the reality, right? Yeah. I remember one time whereby I was sitting in a meeting with two other people and my intuitive side, it was literally like as if they were tapping me on the shoulder and said, Paul, you better get out of this. Don't go ahead with this deal. Do not go ahead with this deal. Please don't, Paul, do not do this. That's literally what it was like from my intuitive side of things. But my conscious mind wanted it so much. I wanted a deal. I kind of feel, oh my God, here's how much money I can make out of it and so on. This is going back about, I don't know, about 15 years or so. And oh my God, was I so wrong. I lost so much money now. <laughs> and that's what the point is. The intuitive side will always try and guide you, but the conscious mind wants to battle against it. It wants to know no, no, that I'm right and the facts are right and the figures are right and so on. Uh, but no, no, two people turn out the truck. Once you get hit by the truck enough times, hopefully you start to figure it out. I have a truck example, and this is a big one. It's a very personal one. And I mean no offense to anyone in my life who might, not love me telling this story, but I absolutely knew that I didn't really want to get married. Mm-hmm. Like to the point where I felt sick on my wedding day, I had to lie down and I just had this sense of, ah, that was the feeling, the deep sigh, sort of like, probably shouldn't have done that. And it was a brief marriage, only two years long, and it was just always hard. It was never a good match. It was never a good fit. And I say this with respect to my ex-husband, but I didn't listen to my knowing. And then eventually I got hit by that truck and it really, it tore me open in a way that has been so productive since because I am now so much more in tune with my intuition because I never want something that I never want to get hit by a truck that badly again because divorce has been one of the hardest things I have ever, ever done in my life. But it taught me so much. 
So I'm just wondering if anybody listening to this thinks about like, what are some of the things that have, quote, unquote, gone wrong in your life? And how might they have been the result of not listening to your intuition? Because I'm sure you hear a lot of those stories. I'm also curious, Paul, about how do you keep your lines of intuition clean? Like, what is your practice or your life that facilitates you to be as much in your intuition and your knowing as possible? I'm going to answer that. It's funny you should ask because it's, it's something that I'll get quite regularly from clients. And here's my own answer. And I, and I will, I will ex- expand on that. I don't do a huge amount. And the reason being is because I grew up like, so in Ireland, there's a lot of mythology and folklore around being the seventh son and the seventh son is being gifted in healing and all that kind of things. I mean, in seventh son of a seventh son, I'm the seventh son of a seventh of a seventh. So there's three sevens that I, in the line that I come with. Wow. And um, so if you were to follow folklore, you're, I'm, I'm seen as being gifted and that's what it would always have been told to me from a child onwards. And yes, what I've done healings in the past when I was a kid. Yes, I did from all different aliens and all that class of things. Again, that's not a subject I typically do tend to talk about, but I did discuss it. In, so as from a very young age, I would see things, have knowings, imagery and all that class of things for other people that I would come across. I would be very empathic. So therefore as a kid growing up, I'm getting all these feelings and I'm kind of say, why am I feeling this way? But yet it's not me that was actually feeling, I was actually picking up the feelings and the energy of other people and so on. So that was again a, a journey discovery that I had to try and figure out for myself. So in some respects, to, to answer your question, there's not a huge amount that I need to do to develop because I've always been this way. It's like literally, you know, you're either left-handed or you're right-handed. <laughs> I'm right-handed. Yeah. I'm just built this way. That's for that way. All right. That's I think that's a lyric of a song. Um, <laughs> Lady Gaga, more or less, you bore this way. <laughs> exactly. So that, that's one spec. But when I'm working with clients, I do bring them through a process in order to actually develop their intuition. What I do have to be conscious of is other people's energy because I'm empathic. And um, I have to be careful of their energies. That, that's something that I am sensitive to and something that I am conscious of. But do I do meditation? Yeah, I absolutely do. In one of the episodes in my podcast, I, I talked about, look at I was tired of reading and seeing other people that say that their life is absolutely perfect and it's gorgeous and they're amazing. They have this routine in the morning that they do meditation in the morning, do journaling in the morning, to do reading in the morning, to do half an hour of physical exercise and so on. And they have this routine before they even get up and, you know, literally doing the day. I don't have any of those routines whatsoever. And the reason being is because I, I, I work in the real life. And what I mean by that is no disrespect to anybody that has those routines. If it works for them, it absolutely works for them. But for a lot of my clients that I work with, these are people that are under very, very pressurized situations. So they're high level up within their companies. Some of them are celebrities. Some are literally, they, they are running major corporations. I can tell you a story about one, one individual that, that made a phone call to me. So they're significantly under, under a lot of pressure. So for them to spend two hours in effect each morning, it means that not would they have to get up at five o'clock, they'd nearly have to get up at three o'clock in the morning in order to do what, 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 they're, what they're required to do. So what I do is I build in little practices with them throughout the course of the day. So the routines that I build with clients is, and it's getting to the point of being, and I mean that I'm emphasizing being, because there's no point in just doing. You can do what you like, you can do meditation, you can do your journaling, you can do excellent, your gratitude, you can do all those things. But so such times you be each one of those, that's very, very different. 
So therefore, how I go about my day is I'm constantly being grateful. And there's points whereby I'd be able to pull meditation because I'm, I'm literally, I'll just get consumed in doing something, but it's all of my senses are being enlightened with each one of those thing, activities that I'm doing. And that might be literally just for whether I'm going for a walk or whatever. I'm being that in that moment in time. So all of those indirectly are keeping my intuition side of things and my knowings clean and up to the top level, if, if that makes sense. It makes total sense to so somebody who works on teaching people to be rather than do every time they step in a yoga studio, because they teach a very passive kind of yoga called yin. <laughs> it's absolutely, yeah, I totally get it. And so many of us, and I include myself in that, it takes a lot of deprogramming to learn to be rather than do. And that's when the good stuff starts to come through. Yeah. I personally am so grateful for this pandemic and the enforced stillness. <laughs> I know I might be alone on that, but it gave me an opportunity to just be still and listen and be rather than do. So you mentioned a story you might tell us about one of your clients you had a call with. So yeah, because I think anything that illustrates the beauty of just building in points of learning to be and learning to reflect and being able to start more as a habit, being more tuned into your knowing is going to be useful to people listening. I suppose, well, the one that popped into my mind uh, as I was kind of talking there, was a phone call. Well, it was actually a message on my phone that I got because it was in Clyde Beach at the time. And it was from a C-suite individual and um, very, very high in the company. Like you're, you're talking a couple of thousand staff, hugely successful. Left a message on my phone. And because I had back-to-back meetings that day, there's no way I could actually return his phone call. But I did in the evening time. And his response on the phone to me was, if you didn't ring me back, I would not be here. So. And that will be not too uncommon for a lot of people that I work with. Meaning, so not again, not too dissimilar to my own story, whereby people perceive on the outside, they've got absolutely everything. And this individual had, and the one that literally just popped into my mind there. And again, yeah, seems to be massively successful, wealthy to be found, everything that everybody kind of desires at one set of life and all the kinds of things, but was extremely terribly unhappy. And he had already made plans and gotten everything in place in order to, if I didn't return the phone call that day, he would not be here. So yeah. Yeah. But, mm. but that is going to, I, I said a number of years ago and people just laughed at me. I said a number of different things years ago that people laughed at me, but yes, they're now coming true. So now. Not that I'm laughing, but they're, they're now taking a little bit more seriousness to it. And I said a number of years ago, I said the, the mental health situation and suicide rates are literally going to go through the roof globally over the next 10 or so years. Mm-hmm. And it's something, so people talk about the pandemic. I, I, I said that a number of years ago, I said about five, six years ago, and people talk about the pandemic now. And what the impact it's had on their lives and people's lives and so on. Yes. And there has been deaths not taken away from that whatsoever, but it's the untold story of the pandemic that people aren't actually really tuning into. And yes, in Ireland here, you know, there was a huge campaign done in relation to domestic violence, for example, which is a huge area. And and that's one aspect of it. But what you won't hear from governments or any interested parties from that perspective, I mean, interested in another way. And um, what you won't hear from them is that the impact that the pandemic has had on people 
I'm not just talking about executives. I'm not just talking about people that, you know, run your own business. The more you really, really drill it down into, which is again, the research that I would have had to do for myself from suicide ideation perspective, the more you drill down into it, what you find is that the pandemic has had a significant impact on adults from a business perspective, from a personal perspective, financial perspective, and so on. But in the next 10 years, you will see a massive increase in suicide rates on the next generations coming through. Because what you find in relation to suicide is that the more traumas that happen in an individual's life in the early part of their life, what happens later on, and it normally takes about 20, 30 years, what normally happens later on is it manifests in the form of mental health issues, suicide ideation, alcoholism, drug abuse, all those addictions for one of a word. And that's because of the unresolved traumas in their life going back many years. So if you look at the generations going through right now at the moment in terms of people gone through, you know, we had the Celtic tiger over here, but there was a global recession that happened. So we could be hard. Yeah. But if you look at families that went through that period, if you look at family breakups and therefore that's another trauma and the trauma can be as simple as a child moves school to literally something really, really significant happening in their life. All those traumas being cumulated is going to have a major knock-on effect from a, a mental health perspective. Wow, I got chills when you were talking about that because I think of all the pandemic baby boom where people were sort of locked in together and they either came out and got divorced or they had a baby. But these, you know, these babies are having their early life impacted by, they don't know anything differently than hand sanitizer and not being able to see people's faces because of masks and things. And we're going through a collective trauma, but I hadn't really thought about the future impact on mental health. Because, I mean, we're already seeing people fall over mentally. Like, people are breaking right now because this is dragging on. Nobody knows when it's going to be resolved. And it's not going to be because this is the breakdown that is due to happen because we've been running on empty for so long as human beings and the way that we use natural resources and use our planet. Like, our our ecosystem is broken. So... This brings us back to what is the place of intuition and knowing and how we go forward, particularly, I mean, what I think you really bring that's unique is particularly about business. How do we integrate intuition and knowing into business? How do we create businesses that work for the world and for human beings? And, and how does intuition play a role? From my perspective, and gang, maybe because I'm biased here, it plays a huge role. And some people, so a lot of people, a lot of the, again, the leaders that we would look up to them being hugely successful, they would typically refer to their gut feeling. The gut feeling is their intuition. That's what it is. But where we need to evolve to, which I told you there was a, a hidden message in, in the title of the book, but again, there's a second hidden message, but where we need to evolve to is actually realizing who we truly are as human beings. And then understanding, okay, so if I can want, if I can bring my whole self to my career, my business, my life, not just separate them, not just have the personal life, which is what I used to do, not just have the personal life and then the businessman, the business person in, in, in business. No, let's bring the whole person good to work. Part of that whole person is the intuitive side. So it, it's funny that you mentioned in relation to genius and, and knowing your zone of genius. What I talk about is being the genius you and the genius you, and then the different parts that make up the genius you, when you are operating from your genius you, meaning your genius self, well, then now everything is integrated. So when we talk about integrity, 
I've got a very different slant on integrity. Integrity is where you are completely aligned and integrated. And therefore, when you're aligned and integrated from that point of view, you can only operate from what a position of what people perceive as integrity to be. So mm. for one bad word, the genius you is where you are in alignment and in equilibrium with your executive center, your unconscious and the superconscious. So how can we bring that into business? It's where we're getting to or going to. It's on the journey. How fast we want to get there, that's open to everybody. But a lot of people that come to me would be feelings along, you know, Paul, I, I'm on a hamster wheel. I'm on this treadmill. I, I've lost my mojo. I, I don't enjoy doing what I'm doing. Do people really want to continue having a life globally? And you talk about sustainability and you talk about, you know, we need to look after what we're doing right, after this planet. So when you look at it from all of that perspective, we've got to stand up and make a decision, make a choice as regards, what do we want from this world? And I'm not seeing that happen, to be quite honest, right now at the moment. You know, we're watching different things that are going on from the global perspective. But if we really wanted to make change in this planet, we could do so easily and yet so difficult. But what you got to do is you got to remove the interested parties in order to actually make significant, sustainable change. So in everything that we've got to do going forward, people literally, honestly, I'm not trying to start a revolution here, but... Why not? Go for it. I am all for it. But everybody needs to, for one bad word, wake up and say, actually, do you know what? This is my future. And do I want a different future for me to go forward? Or do you want to continue being the hamster on the hamster wheel? It's a simple choice. But at some point, you've got to make that choice. And if you don't make the choice for yourself, well, then that choice is going to be made for you. Yeah. Well, seemingly simple choice. I would disagree that it is because our entire lives are set up in these systems we've created and the systems that are around us. And it is really difficult because also, you know, we're neurologically hardwired to do things the easy way, which is the way we know how to do things. It isn't necessarily the best way, but it's most efficient because we don't have to think about it. So it's not a simple choice. It's actually quite hard unless we're conscious of it. And I think that's where consciousness and being intuitive, being in touch with our intuition comes in. I loved what you said about alignment because that's a term I use an awful lot myself. And it's just, it feels really right. When you are completely in alignment and there's no gap between your personal values and what you do in the world, you can't be out of integrity. And people feel that. And it's quite magnetic and powerful. Yeah. But also what you said about if we wanted to change, we could. I mean, look at this pandemic as an example. Overnight, we went from being out on the streets and being free to do basically whatever we want to having to be in our houses, having to wear masks, being the people who give people a hard time for not wearing a mask. Or, you know, it's if the will is there, it's possible. And I would say we should call for revolution because we are at the point where it's not going to be an option for very much longer. Either get on board or be forced on board, essentially. And not too distant the future, I'd say, because things are getting crunchy, aren't they? Yeah. Yeah. It's going to get worse, get worse fast, actually. Yeah. yeah, yeah. It is. Like we are on an accelerated curve of, I find it exciting, but that's because I saw it coming and I'm up for this. I've been training my whole life for this. So have you. We're here to help people. We're here to help. But there are going to be a lot of people who are really stressed, who decide to exit rather than go through it. Yeah. It's also going to bring up people's darkest sides, isn't it? Absolutely will. Yeah. And that's a challenge for a lot of people. 
it's, mm. it's, it's a massive, massive challenge. But it, yeah, it will, yeah, kind of, kind of on that. And because of the pressure of the pandemic and because you are so tapped into really seeing the reality of what's going on, even if people don't know it about themselves, have you seen some real dark moments or some real dark sides emerge as people go through this incredible stress of oh, systems breakdown? Yeah. All you got to do is look, look, just look at social media. It's yeah, the yeah. pandemic has been very, very divisive. And so all you have to do is see any kind of conversation that takes place on Twitter, for example. And oh see God, Twitter. How people have separated in absolute factions. So it's, yeah, no, that's unfortunately has been part of the dark side of the pandemic. Yeah. Yeah. I've had a few people surprise me with like what you said, you think what, huh? Yeah. Social media debates have all the subtlety of throwing hand grenades at each other. All the subtlety and nuance. Yeah. It's anonymous. It's kind of faceless. You know, it, it's easy, you know, I the, the term derivation to keyboard warriors, but it's true. And it is saddening when you actually see the conversations and, and the, you see the back and forth and the conversations. Well, it's sad to observe is my take on it, to be honest. It's not done mm. one either. It's just, it's from a human race perspective and really knowing who we truly are. And when you know who you truly are, oh my God, everything changes. But when you're in that space and you want the absolute best for, for people, it is just so disheartening and sad to observe. It really, really is. Something that has been so game changing for me has been finally having it click that everything that you think about other people is just a projection of yourself. That anything you have a problem with in someone else is a mirror of something about you. And that is a total game changer because then it just, A, it allows you to really see clearly what's going on and what you can work on, but also you can no longer hate other people <laughs> because you think anything that offends you about them or anything that riles you about them is actually coming from you. So it's quite freeing, but it's also, it's a call to do your homework. But yeah. Yeah. I know. I sort of like, did I ask for this homework? No, didn't think so. Damn it. Because once you start, once you get to that point of really listening, really knowing, it's hard to shut off. And it's, you know, like it is seriously taking the red pill and unplugging yourself from the matrix. It's never going to be the same again. And some people are very happily plugged into the matrix. They want to oh, just have. Absolutely. Yeah, yeah. Yeah. The surface, the stuff that's, they don't have to think. They don't have to do anything, but just. Yeah, it's easier in a lot of ways, but it's really not in the long run. So I'm aware that time is moving on and I really would love to hear what is giving you hope? What keeps you going? Because I get this sense that you know a lot about the future. You have a lot of knowings. What makes you hopeful? I'm on a mission. That's the bottom line. It's literally, I'm, I'm driven by my mission. Um, so do I have a hope? Yeah, I have a lot of hope. But it's not hope from the perspective of, oh, I hope things are going to get better. And um, do I have a knowing in terms of, are things going to get better? I'm, I'll, I'll hold fire on that one. But what drives me is I'm on a mission. What, what gets me out of bed, what jumps me out of bed every morning is, is literally what, what I'm here to do. And when you have the, the level of clarity on your purpose and know what you're to do and the difference you're to make and the impact you're to make, that's, there, there aren't enough hours of the day. Oh, amen. I feel that. It also takes the pressure off of worrying or feeling hopeful about the future because the future's not happened yet. The past is made up. Our memories of it are faulty and change all the time. The only thing that's real is the present, which yeah. 
is a freeing thing to realize, but it's also quite an uncomfortable adjustment in your thinking because, you know, in business, you know, we're trained to do projections and budgets and everything's about your targets for next year. So how do you bring that presence into the business world? How do you get people? Is it just about getting people to be present with their intuition and their being, even as they have to follow these systemic rules about projecting future? Well, for, for me, for, for I get people working on their actual mission self and I get them aligned to their executive center um, and to understand the executive center side of things. It's me identifying what their genius drivers are. And when you identify the genius drivers, now they're operating from the executive center. And the executive center, its purpose of the executive, it's in the prefrontal cortex, is how can I plan, be more objective, how be more creative and innovative. So they're, for one better word, they're on fire. So when you talk with individuals within the company, and senior executives and so on, if you want them to be on fire, they have to be operating from the executive center part of the brain. And it's their genius driver that drives the executive center part of the brain. So that results in what corporates want and shareholder value wants, which is the profits and the, the growth and so on. But how you get that is by people being on fire and on fire in the right way, from the perspective of they're, they're firing on all cylinders, they're operating from literally the best part of their brain. Whereas, unfortunately, the vast majority aren't. They're operating from the multiple. Well, and to those who aren't neuroscience nerds like we are, I say that a compliment to both of us. So the thing that shuts down your executive function of your brain and keeps you from being in that state, that ability, that agility is stress. And you're in your animal brain. And when you are in fight or flight, when you're pumping cortisol because you're working too hard, you have to commute, you drink too much coffee, all of that just floods your body with cortisol all the stress hormones and you're working from your amygdala, your fight or flight, it shuts down your executive function and you can't be on fire. You can't be brilliant. Yeah. So then we work in these working cultures that create chronic stress and bullying. And, you know, we do everything we can in these cultures to kind of shut down that ability. So you kind of have to be superhuman or work in a really weird place. It seems like to be able to access that function of your brain. So, how does the world of work need to change so that we can actually enable people to be in their genius, their yeah. executive yeah. function to create the solutions we need for the future? Yeah, it, it, it needs massive, massive change. And so from the perspective of, let me put it this way, there's a change come true right now at the moment. And again, you know, anybody that will be close to this will be able to predict this anyway. And But the, the pandemic kind of accelerated it. And that's for more flexible working. I see so many companies trying to hold on to the old way of doing things and trying to get the workforce back into the office and operating 100% from the office. Look at guys, if, if, if you're not estimating or you're not kind of budgeting from the perspective of 75% of your staff coming back to the workplace as a max, well, then you're not really at the races. And so that's a whole wave that's coming through. That's a sea change in relation to what needs to happen from that perspective. And um, the pandemic has forced people to realize for themselves, actually, do you know what? I want more out of life. Do I want to be, you know, every single day, I've got to be concerned and worried about the targets I'm to hit, you know, the objectives I've got to do and the project planning and so on. I lost a brother recently, literally on the 1st of September, literally just gone, age 56. And that was his life. And he worked right up until February of this year. So... One, and that was while dealing with terminal cancer. So it's a case of people have a personal choice in terms of, and, and I know listeners are going to say, oh, this is really making people uncomfortable. Yeah, that's the whole purpose of this podcast. Yeah, exactly. Thank you. Bring it on. 
But the bottom line is, you know, until such time as people actually in mass say, no, we, we, we can no longer continue the way we're doing right now at vote. We have to change. Well, then the employers and the owners of the companies, then they have to take on that change and adapt. We've changed so much over the last two years. You know, I remember so much difficulty for a lot of people to say, I don't want to have a Zoom meeting. I want to meet you for coffee, for example. But now Zoom is the normal thing for having a meeting. So we can do it. We absolutely can do it. Will it mean sea change? Absolutely will mean sea change. But that starts with every single individual. Mm, that's a really good onus on each of us. We create the culture around us. And if anybody thinks they don't have any power, they don't understand power. You have power, whoever you are. You can be a leader, whoever you are, at whatever level of an organization. That's a message I just want to get out there over and over and over again. And all of my work these days is about leadership and leadership at all levels. And I teach undergrads leadership, but I work with organizations on leadership and creating well-being culture from the inside and bottom up and top down and all that stuff. But yeah, if you think that you can't lead the change that you want, you need to catch up. We are calling for revolution, Paul. We can't hide it anymore. We are calling for revolution. That's ever. <laughs> Let's do it. Let's do it. So is there anything that you would like to leave people with? Good question. Is there anything I would like to leave? What I'd say is that every single individual has a unique life purpose. And in order for people to reach their full potential and to really live life, I mean, to really live life, I'm not just saying existing through life, but see so many people, and this isn't just, it's not about me putting my value system on other people. It's when you see the stark difference between somebody actually really living life. And, you know, from my point of view, you know, we started out this conversation from the perspective of you know, for somebody that wanted to check out to somebody that actually has a mission to fulfill here. Knowing your true life purpose is the single most powerful way for people to reach their their full potential, to reach that level of success that they want to have and the level of fulfillment that they want to have in life. It's that fulfillment is where I say is that's where you're really living life. So the question when I suppose to ask for people is, you know, are you living life? I mean, are you really living life? Are you, are you living from the perspective of you've got to pay the bills, you've got to pay tomorrow, which you've got to do the different, different things that you're doing in life? Or are you actually living life to its fullest? And that's not a case of you travel around the world or have different experiences. Yes, that's part of it. But no, it's being alive. It's so hard to explain to people. But when you get a glimpse of it, and when people start to be on their real life purpose, they come back to me and they, it's chalk and cheese to them. It's black and white. It, they're two completely different lives that they're living. Yeah. I say as someone who hasn't been on an airplane in nearly two years, having been on at least, well, four flights a month, you know, I'd hop over to London. My whole career was based on being able to hop over because people couldn't handle Zoom yet. But I... I'm living so much more now, being quiet, living alone, working from home, because I am so tapped into my knowing and my power and my purpose. And it's been an interesting realization that all of that was just noise, that you don't have to be able to leave your house even to be fully living. So I think that's a beautiful thing to leave people with. And that is start to listen to your knowing and see if your purpose starts to emerge because you know it. It's just about cutting down the noise so you can find it. And don't worry about your passion. Don't worry about your mission. Just 
listen. Start to listen and see what happens. Paul, you're going to have to come back. We didn't even get into the executive code. So all I can leave us with, because we're just over an hour, I, I have tried and failed utterly to keep my uh, interviews to 45 minutes because they're always just too interesting. But I just wanted to say thank you. It was a delicious treat to speak to you, to be in your presence, to hear about your, I don't even want to call it your gifts, your being, your you-ness, your intuitiveness. And also, you couldn't be more on a message about the discomfort practice. So thank you for your time. Thank you for being here. I, I love being here. Thank you so much, Betty. Thanks for getting uncomfortable with me. If you enjoyed this episode, follow and like The Discomfort Practice wherever you listen to podcasts, leave me a five-star and written review, and share this with other people. Help me to reach new audiences with this idea that consciously practicing discomfort helps us to individually and collectively discover our superpowers and create a society and a planet where everyone can thrive. Thank you so much to my guests all season. Go back and listen to a few more episodes to hear more of them. They are wonderful humans doing amazing things in the world. Thanks to my team who helped me produce this podcast and for those who inspire me through their writing, their conversation, and their support. So that's all from me for now. Follow me on Instagram at the Betsy Reed if you want to get to know me a bit better, some of my thoughts. And in the meantime, stay uncomfortable.